News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. It's been quite a quite a week in the last day in New York City where we had this mass shooting on the train in Sunset Park. Uh, 10 people shot, I believe another 19 injured uh, on a day when there were also 11 other people shot elsewhere in New York. Uh, understandably, I suppose, drew significantly less attention. And this story with uh, the police now searching for suspect Frank James, who managed to escape with cameras in the station not functioning, uh, with uh, police who were in the station unable to use the radios while they were there because of the frequencies, and all this uh, doing a tremendous service to Governor Kathy Hochul uh, as her lieutenant governor, Ryan Benjamin, resigned after just seven months after he was charged by the feds. Once again, it never seems to be state prosecutors with our politicians when they get charged uh, and putting her in a, a complicated and embarrassing uh, uh, position as she's gearing up to run for a term of her own. I was covering some of this for the beast last night. I was really distressed as is the case in almost every one of these sort of uh, terrible shootings with the amount of totally uninformed uh, speculation and, and sort of political arguments before any information was out there. The mayor, of course, also caught the uh, coronavirus uh, while he was visiting Washington. So he's been showing up uh, by video and remotely. Kathy Hochul has uh, filled some of that space and has been a scene after scene after scene uh, talking about this and trying to wrap this very specific shooting we'll get into into a broader public safety narrative that I'm not sure applies, but uh, it all seems to be popping off. Chrissy, what, what are you what are you making of all this? Oh, it was a busy day yesterday. Um, so there are a few things. One, let's take the subway situation. Um, and we're really lucky that we didn't have fatalities that could have been. Um, but I think it shouldn't be lost on us that this is a station that didn't have adequate cameras that were working. Um, you know, for all the talk of surveillance and the need for policing, and money for policing, we still know that there are inequities that exist in the city where certain communities still don't even get sort of basic elements that would keep them safe uh, beyond more police officers or even having people at the station who work there, which we've seen um, sort of decrease crime and sort of bad behaviors. I don't know though, like, you know, the resilience of New Yorkers is so remarkable to me because so many people, I mean, they had to take the subway home yesterday because, you know, obviously Uber was price surging and there's just a lot of folks who couldn't even fathom paying for Ubers to and fro. So I think Adams, when he's back up and running and has a sea legs, uh, he's got to do two things simultaneously, deal with the sort of immediate short-term urgent threat that people feel crime is rising, subways aren't safe. Uh, and then also this long-term conversation about what he's going to do in the next four years to change what is a national trend, as you've said many times before, Harry, it's not just in New York City. We know that because of COVID and unemployment and housing instability, and obviously mental health challenges from so many people who are dealing with so much stress, uh, we know that crime is, is going to not just spike, but it's going to stay that way until folks feel uh, much more stable. Katie, what do you make 
of this moment for Adams. I'm reading the post this morning and uh, cover Michael Goodwin just throughout the paper. And it's a fierce city. Uh, and at a moment when New York is looking to recover, this is a reminder things are, are dangerous and getting worse. And whatever the, the reasons for that, that it, it's threatening the revival of the city. I, I know the Times took a lot of heat for having a headline right after the shooting happened uh, that initially said, you know, a, a shooting feeds into uh, fears of New Yorkers. And then they took that down, put it back up, took it down again. Maybe they were A-B testing. But should this be in a separate box or is this part of this larger narrative or, 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 or you know, as people are taking this in, you know, my kids were locked down at school because they're in District 15 yeah. um, and, and people are thinking about their commutes home and, and to work. Is this part of the same narrative or is this something else? Well, it's interesting. And, and going off of what Chrissy said, um, at the presser yesterday that Mayor Eric Adams trapped in quarantine, which I know is a personal help for him, and I, and I understand I would hate to be, you know, trapped at home uh, when you're, you have his personality to really be on scene. Um, but as he WebExed into the presser, he spoke of the nation's issues with guns. He referenced the mass shootings that we're all aware of that happened in, in places outside of New York City, um, whether it's the shooting at the Country Music Festival in Las Vegas uh, to Sandy Hook. And I think that uh, is twofold. It kind of takes a little bit of the heat off of this idea that New York City is now back to the bad old days or whatever people call it. Um, and uh, I don't know if it was on purpose, but it, I think, you know, to try to switch the narrative of, of where this, what this crime is about and is this part of a larger uh, crime issue in New York City. But, you know, in terms of whether people feel safe, I hear all different stuff. And I'm not going to tell someone who is afraid to take the subway, no, 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 statistically, you're safer on the subway than blah, blah, blah. And it actually, yeah, crime is up in some places, but uh, it's not as bad as it was in 91, you know, because people's perception, the media obviously plays a role in that. But also, you know, the videos coming out of what happened yesterday were pretty tra traumatizing, I think, to watch for, for people, let alone people who experience that. Um, and yeah, it is New Yorkers' resilience to, to like get back on the train, but a lot of people don't have the option. You know, I, I kind of have a very maybe cynical view of the, I'm like, this is the cycle of bad things that happen in New York City. The thing happens and everyone tells us, we're tough. They bring up 9-11, they bring up Hurricane Sandy, they bring up whatever else. And then you get the tweet cycles of someone showing like a picture of New York at sunset going, greatest city in the world, New York tough. And a lot of times, People are, are tough in New York because we have to be. We're resilient because we have to be. You know, when the subways are flooded and you see people like jumping over giant puddles just to get home, I don't know if that's necessarily a rah-rah New York City is tough. It's like, well, what else are we going to do? People got to get to work. They got to do their thing. They got to live their lives. But uh, yeah, when out, Eric Adams is out of Gracie Mansion, um, there's a lot that needs to be done. And, and I also agree with you, Harry, like Twitter was an absolute health gate yesterday. The speculation, the Scoldy tweets. I, I was like, I got to get off. On a day like yesterday, all I want to see is news. All I want to see is updates. I don't want your take. Uh, maybe I'm, maybe you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at the wrong place for that. But um, we still don't know this suspect's true motive. We haven't. We, I mean, the police have not apprehended him yet. We, I watched some of those videos as well that were posted on YouTube. You know, I, I don't know. It's not like he specifically said, "I'm going to go." on a Manhattan Baton train on Tuesday morning and shoot at people because of X, Y, Z. We don't know 
what that motivation was. Um, but what Eric Adams, what he said yesterday and what he said since he was campaigning, there is a overproliferation of guns in New York City, but also around the country. Um, so that is the continued message for the city. And it's also an nationwide issue as well. Um, but yeah, that was yesterday, you know, reporting on it and trying to make sense of what was going on um, while keeping in mind this larger, the larger issues that are still present here in New York City. So I think all this ends up as a gift for uh, Kathy Hochul. Like if the lieutenant governor you swore by six days ago has to resign after his arrest, you would like this to happen when there's some bigger, overwhelming news cycle. Um, you know, Hochul has now said she's down with party chair Jay Jacobs' idea to have like an alternate party line for Democrats, for like Long Islanders and others who don't necessarily want to vote for a Democrat. Um, you know, Andrew Cuomo has been floating around and saying he's got more public <laughs> service to give to New Yorkers. I, I, I like, does what happened with Benjamin here shift any fundamental dynamics in New York, particularly with him still going to be on the ballot despite his arrest because of when this happened and the timing of his resignation and New York's campaign laws? Uh, or, or is this just sort of another in a very long series of uh, corruption arrests here and then, then, then things continue more or less with business as usual? So I'll take a stab at this. I think, you know, even though Kathy Hochul didn't really have to address it yesterday, she is going to have to address it at some point in time. And obviously there are going to be questions as to who she wants as her lieutenant governor, how that's going to play out. I think that, you know, she's going to have to give voters a crash course in uh, how they can have a, a viable option and feel like they're going to the polls. I think this, it's just a sad day in New York politics whenever these things happen, just because we already have such an abysmal turnout and folks have such a low perception of folks in Albany, you know, it's like a cesspool of degenerates, either because of sexual improprieties and misconduct or financial misdoings. Um, we think about, you know, when Bruno and Silver and Hevesy were all in prison together playing cards with Ja Rule, it's like, you know, this is, you know, you go to Albany, it's like next stop is prison. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, just the morale of how we look at our elected officials who go to Albany and who represent New York State is probably at an all-time low or at least inching towards that. And so no matter what happens with Brian Benjamin, I mean, he is out. He is no longer the lieutenant governor. And so Kathy Hochul is going to have to shuffle. And, you know, as we were talking beforehand, you know, via Twitter, uh, I thought Jumani's statement was really strong and powerful, essentially. And this is going to be the needle that Kathy Hochul has to thread because essentially his, his statement that he released yesterday uh, said, as Lieutenant Governor, Kathy Hochul denied knowledge or awareness of Andrew Cuomo's wrongdoing. Now she's repeating the same posture and strategy with her own lieutenant. Either she's consistently shamefully out of the loop or shamefully enabling through her inaction. And either way, it's clear that unless we elect leadership outside of the old ways of Albany, these patterns of scandal and corruption will keep repeating, end quote. And so I think that that's, that's a really fine needle that Kathy Hochul has to thread to say, like, I didn't know... You know, a lot of journalists were like, girl, <laughs> we knew before you nominated him. Um, and then whether or not she's going to say, well, I did know, but I'm, you know, I stood by him because of whatever reason. The questions that she has 
uh, are going to be hard, not just coming from Swazi and Williams, but I think from journalists who are going to, you know, as as Giovanni put in his statement, are you just inept or, you know, are you part of this larger sort of corrupt system in Albany? Which one is it? Uh, and that's a hard question to answer. And there no, there's no win in, in that answer. Yeah, I, I think, look, and it, it's true, the reporting that, uh, you know, was part of this eventual indict, federal indictment was out there long before he was selected. This isn't the case of Kathy Ogle had her lieutenant governor, and then there were stories in the city. There was the Daily News story about using campaign money for a wedding, his wedding. This stuff was out there. And a post-wedding party. The post-wedding party. Big party in New York that Kathy Hochul attended. It's you know, it's, it's mind-boggling, right? You know, people, I've heard that he wasn't her first choice and you got to pick somebody and I get all that. But I think the, I didn't know, is not going to be uh, perceived very well to the average voter. And the average voter maybe didn't read all these stories, but just knows yesterday the lieutenant governor was arrested. And, you know, it's an opportunity for Andrew Cuomo if he wants to jump in to seize on something. It's an opportunity for the Republican candidates. It, it brings a lot of opportunities for people to just seize on someone who a few months ago seemed unbeatable with her money, with the amount of, you know, with the time and, and what she was doing as governor. So Brian Benjamin, you know, said at various points things like, I support the movement to defund the police uh, because I believe there are parts of the NYPD budget that are not essential to public safety. Um, he then hooks up with, with Hochul, backs off some of that. It doesn't actually, at that point honestly matter what he thinks because your power as lieutenant governor, as we know with Kathy Hochul, is finally just you might end up becoming governor. But it was interesting to see Benjamin resign uh, after his, his arrest. At uh, the same time, Hochul takes advantage of Eric Adams' physical absence to be everywhere in New York City and very much making this subway shooting a street crime narrative. The New Yorkers uh, uh, need to have their sense of public safety restored, and I'm determined to do this, this right after he uh, pushed uh, lawmakers to, uh, to roll back parts of uh, bail reform and other justice reform bills that, that had passed in 2019. It seems like a uh, quite a reversion of where the center is in New York. And as Chrissy was saying, you know, you're looking at some of these neighborhoods where, where there are never resources. And when there are, it all ends up being about, uh, well, well, the resources, we're, we're going to bring in more police and not, not necessarily other money that's going to go around there. Eric Adams has been talking a lot about uh, new tech um, in response to, to the shootings. It's not totally clear what he meant. First, it seemed like he meant metal detectors. And they said, no, no, not that. But maybe things like they screen in airports with, maybe we're talking about facial recognition. But all this, you know, after a shooting where, where the cameras didn't work, uh, the radios, the NYPD says they did work, but the officers were unable to properly operate them underground. Uh, you know, is, is the answer to this going to be uh, more, more resources for the police and a push in that direction? Is that where things are, are headed politically? So there's a couple things about this that, that catch my attention right away that, um, you know, pray we don't have copycats because this is, this is not, um, we've had mass shootings before, right? Like in the past two years, Brownsville, East New York, there have been 
um, mass shootings that are more in the category of street crime that are coming from gun related, like guns pump getting pumped into cities. This is a, this is what you see in the rest of the country. This is a YouTuber with conspiracy theories. That is it. You're not exactly clear of his motivation when you when you watch the YouTubes. You just get like a general sense of discontent and like a pinpointing of a political official. Then you also have just like random shots of full trains. So this is this is a problem that we see a lot in the rest of the country. This is a problem that like policing can't fix. And I've spoke to people many times just on what happens to Eric Adams, right? When when more cops doesn't work, right? You can warehouse as as many small time offenders as you want. You can clear a bunch of homeless encampments so that visually you have slightly better quality of life in like the West Village. But what you can't do is actually control a national trend um, that that's created that's going to create a, a mass situation a mass shooting of like this type. Um, and I think it's a big mistake for Kathy Hochul and a bunch of politicians to tour the trains and say like, no, 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 it's safe here. Like everything is safe. We are, if we're New Yorkers and we're New York tough, then we're tough enough to, to hold, um, uh, like dualities in our mind and understand that both things can be true. That like, that, that there is a, a national trend of gun violence that is sweeping over every American city and ours included, but that also we are vulnerable in certain ways and that policing traditionally does not prevent crimes of this nature. Albert Fox Khan wrote about it in the daily beast that like the unfortunate truth is there is no new technology and there's no amount of police that are going to stop a crime like this. There are other things and we could get into that. And when Eric Adams, sorry to go, on and on. But just real quick, when Eric Adams goes into like vaguely talking about new tech after the NYPD was caught kind of time and time again, doing like secret, not so constitutional things with new tech and surveillance, including, you know, putting Bobby Shmurda away uh, for what, like seven years based on Palantir's predictive policing uh, databases and algorithms you know, maybe that in a dystopian future combined with some sort of like a future RoboCop that just trolls social media for any mention of a, a city mayor. But like, that's not a reality when we can't even fix our cameras. And, and the 36th Street stop, it's not like the smallest station in the world. It's not Atlantic Avenue. But that really is. That's that's the D train. That's the N train. NYU Langone just bought the bought the hospital recently out there. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of money coming up in that area. I'm just going to jump in here. One 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 shooting. This reminds me of in some ways. And 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 listening to uh to suspected shooter Frank James's ravings, which which are all over the place, but also a few points specifically about Adams and about his subway crime plan. And uh, James says he can't stop no fucking crime in those subways. Um, he can't stop and shit. And then he says, with this program in place, with all these police, I'd still get off. I know I could get off because they can't be everywhere, which, of course, regrettably is, you know, he said that months earlier. And indeed, it appears what ended up happening. Um, in 1993, um, I'm not sure who recalls this on the pod, but, but, but Colin Ferguson 
shot up a uh, Long Island Railroad car in a uh, really remarkable case. I believe he killed six people and uh, shot shot many others, uh, shooting as methodically as if he was taking tickets, an unhinged sort of guy, and uh, a black guy, which I'm bringing up uh, because this guy, Frank James, is. And after the early speculation, once that came out, you know, Fox News just went off about this story. They, they, they could not have been more excited. Uh, Andy Nigo on Twitter was doing the same thing. They were trying to argue that this guy was some sort of Black Lives Matters activist or whatever. Whereas having listened to way too much of his videos, I can tell you he's, he's just unhinged and unhappy in about 15 different directions and has horrible things to say about Blacks, Hispanics, Jews, gays, pretty much everyone else. And, you know, it seems like a, a, a muddled, disastrous sort of man was flicking off of things that were happening in the public discourse to get there. Um, Chrissy, I'm, I'm just curious to get your read on, on how these things play out in the national media and, and otherwise. And when, when it is or is not reasonable to consider, first off, race, and secondly, like the motives of these shooters, when you're talking about mentally unwell people, does it like really matter? If uh, right. they want to associate themselves with the cause or other people want to tie them in with one. Right. Well, we know that obviously after any of these events happen, you know, when emotions are high, we have people who are going to try and exploit a narrative. So obviously, you know, you've got your white nationalists, right wing folks who are just going to make this uh, fear mongering, histrionic. This is what happens when, you know, you have people people, i.e. anyone non-white, even though we know. Which is weird because this is like their playbook. I mean, hello, this is like the white nationalist playbook. This is domestic terrorism that has been plaguing our communities for centuries, but I digress. So, but we know that the right will take these attacks. I think the, the left doesn't really know how to have nuanced conversations about mental health. I mean, no one really does, but the left is really struggling. I think, you know, race is important in the sense that if we're all supposed to be on the lookout for someone in a manhunt, we sort of need to know more than just he had on a red sweatshirt, right? So we we actually do need some sort of identifying factors. I think the fear is we know the NYPD starts cracking skulls from anyone ages, you know, 15 to 95 who's black. And that has been part of the concern that when you sort of use race as a factor, there are a lot of police officers and also citizens who can't tell the difference between, you know, a 30-year-old black man and a 65-year-old black man, even though black don't crack. I still get it. Like, you still need to sort of be on the lookout. I mean, yesterday, I'm, I'm sort of feeling a little raw about this because yesterday in my building, someone mistook, mistook me for my neighbor who has dreadlocks down her back, and I currently have an afro. Um, so... I, I recognize the capacity for white people to sort of see black people as all the same, which is a longstanding history in this country. And it's really problematic when it comes to policing, but also when we should be keeping our eyes and ears open. But I do worry about the adverse effects of sort of lots of innocent people getting swept up in a net in the hysteria of trying to find someone who's done a very bad thing. What's interesting is that um, the technology and the facial recognition tech also can't tell the difference a lot of the time um, between 
people well, of I mean, color. Alex, the fact that whenever I go to a bathroom and I have to like ask a white person to actually turn on the soap and the water for me because it never wants to work. So I mean, like, even so there's there's the tech of, you know, crime and prevention. There's the tech of me just trying to wash my hands and get some soap where I'm like, you know, I use the the the, the inside of my palm. I try and use the inside of my wrist. But, you know, I'm a little tan right now. I want to wait for spring break just like I'm allowed to. And I've got to like, you know, ask a, a nice good white Samaritan to please turn on the water for me. So, I mean, we know that tech has a long way to go, but I do worry about, you know, in this hysterical moment where tensions are high, you have overzealous citizens and overzealous police officers who just will sort of take a whole net and try and get a lot of folks, uh, which that that is of great concern to me. Since 9-11, the, the answer to every really frightening disaster or circumstance in New York is almost always new technology. And even as those have not often succeeded or have had unintended consequences and cameras that, that were meant to be used for like national security things end up getting used on like shoplifters. It seems like an almost inevitable march and one that this mayor is certainly pushing to continue against a, a more resistant city uh, city council that, that interestingly has moved to the left as the uh, morality is uh, moved to the center, if you like. But I do think this is going to be a uh, really interesting uh, fight potentially over the uh, over the next year. And as the NYPD is now actually required to disclose much more of its technology spending than, than had previously been the case. And as uh, district attorneys, including reforming ones, have, have increasingly used uh, social uh, social network monitoring to try to make uh, uh, cases and against uh, gang members and affiliates, which gets real complicated with who's actually doing the crimes and who's just in the same buildings or in the same family and families and around the same people and thus uh, socially entangled uh, whether they're involved or not. Uh, I, I don't immediately see see a way out of this. So I, I may just be thinking out loud here. Well, I think, I think we need to have Albert back on Albert Fox Khan back on the podcast to help us contextualize technology and policing and I hope Mayor Adams will join us finally on the podcast. We don't meet in person anymore, Mr. Mayor. So you can zoom in from your quarantine, since I'm sure, as Katie mentioned, um, and you, I'm, I'm sure our listeners heard, Katie is in the middle of, of reporting on all of this and so uh, is just knee-deep in, in the, the writer's room and had to drop off to head to some... Some press conferences, but I, I hope the mayor can join us to, to walk us through, you know, as, as Alex said, policing is not the answer, but we know that someone who spent two decades in the NYPD, that is obviously where he leans quickly uh, and swiftly when things like this happen. And a lot of people do that. That's where the pendulum swings. And then we recognize it was an overstretch. So I think that there are a lot of holistic things that can be done before we start, you know, with this performance theater, you know, someone's telling me at 34th Street, there's like, you know, military personnel armed to the teeth outside. And it's like, why? I mean, if if we actually felt safer and we're going to be safer, that's one conversation. But the performance of safety is not actually what's needed by New Yorkers who have to use the subway. So like, I think we need to talk to the mayor. Please come on the show. We keep inviting you. Um, 
to really walk us through, like, what is a comprehensive way that we can not only feel safe, but actually be safe. And now that the NYPD's tech like has to be somewhat transparent, I am genuinely interested um, what the mayor does think about implementing new tech um, and and whether the, the NYPD has walked him through the technology that they already implement. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, he's been given a lot of questions on the fly and it's like, are you answering these questions because you've thought about them deeply and substantively? Or are you answering these questions because someone just posed them to you and you're just kind of spitballing ideas here? Which one is it? Because like the idea of metal detectors in a subway and everyone's like, okay, walk us through how that actually works. Does it work in any other city? You know, you're sending Phil Banks to these conferences to look at tech. What are you looking at and what cities are they in? Is it just a boondoggle for a whole bunch of other people to make money and NYPD, you know, departments to amass a whole bunch of toys and tricks and tools? Or have we actually seen some of these things work? And if so, they work for whom and how? That's what I want to know. Definitely get uh, Albert and and possibly Liz O'Sullivan back on. Well, much more to, to attend to, but I think all of us have to now rush back to the news. Sorry, I'm going to try that one more time. No, just leave it in. <laughs> I was up very late, actually, to covering covering some of this with the uh, with the shooter and uh, getting pulled in different directions. Uh, much more to discuss, and we'll be back uh, next week to uh, to get back at it. We'll talk to you then. FAQ. FAQ.NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Artists, and Critics, online at thebrick.house. We're headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and came to you this week from Brooklyn, Manhattan, Queens, and a faraway land called France. Our executive producer is Alex Brooklyn, and Adam Kamara mixed and edited this episode. Be well, be kind, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>